Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of Spilling Ink. We are the talk show that takes you behind the book to meet the authors and professionals in the publishing industry. And look at that. We got a full house of our hosts today. Hey, Jay. Hey, Jane. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Did y'all enjoy the shenanigans last week? Yes, I did. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was great. I cannot believe Joe Compton would come over onto our show and steal the spotlight. I am just... I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I think we need to to mount some kind of, of retaliation. Water balloon so. fight. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right. You hear that, Joe? You've been warned. It's on. <laughs> All right. But down to the regular business, we do have a brand new author to introduce to our audience. Teresa, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you write? Sure. I write historical fiction about World War II, and I have two books for adults and a novel based on the true story of the Wake Island survivors. And I have a book called Dancing in Combat Boots, which is women's stories from World War II. And then I have a children's series called the Homefront Heroes series, um, five different books. Uh, one takes place in the Illinois Valley with a girl working in a war factory. One is a Japanese internment camp story, a Mexican-American boy in San Antonio, a Jewish girl in the Bronx, and then the Pearl Harbor story. And so I did that for quite a long time. I wrote, you know, 27 years I was doing mostly World War II stuff. And then my newest book is called Bursts of Brilliance for a Creative Life. And it is um, an inspirational book for artists and creatives. And it's based on my weekly blog that has been going for six and a half years. And so that came out last October. So pretty excited about that. And I think we have an image of that one. Hold on just a yes. second. There it is. That looks beautiful. And Thank we will you. talk a little bit about that. But before we get really in depth, we got to pay homage to our sponsor, the infamous Joe Compton. So give us just a second here so we can get a nice little word from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Compton and welcome to our channel, Go Indie Now. This is the place that celebrates indie artists and indie art. And we do so by producing several shows that either air on daily, weekly, monthly, or seasonal scheduling. And within those shows, we aim to educate and entertain you. If you're, if you're an indie artist who's trying to figure out how to do this, this is the place you need to be. If you're an indie artist who's looking to promote and doesn't have any avenues and, and is tired of the grind, this is the place to be. Just remember, it's always time to go and be down. That's right. It is always time to go indie now. And for those of you who would like to visit and learn more about go indie now, we will post all the links for that in the show notes below at the end of the show. And uh, also, I wanted to give a little shout out because I got my shirt yesterday. Uh, our family friends here in the, the indie group, the wonderful Plotaholics, which if you haven't watched them, you definitely need to check out their channel. They have some awesome content and they always review the best movies. So, all right, let's get down to it. Let's let's get into what we're going to talk about this week. Anybody want to talk about anything? <laughs> I'm <waiting laughs> for edits. I, I just I just finished the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy again for like the zillionth time. Um, it and so that's where my head's at. You know, it's, yeah. There there will be a day when the courage of men fails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
It's not oh, this day. It's not this day. No, it's not. <laughs> no, you know, I, I have taken a huge step back from social media. And it was ever since I watched The Social Dilemma, which was fantastic, by the way, except for the the um, the little reenactment things that did the dramatizations were, were not good at all. But all those, the speeches from the uh, the uh, the tech industry or uh, the web industry uh, professionals were wonderful. I, I really enjoyed that. And it really kind of puts a, a new light on, you know, exactly why we're drawn to social media so much. It, you know, it's something that they have di designed it to do. Uh, so I've taken a huge step back and I've actually been reading more than anything. So I've missed so much stuff that's been going on on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere You're else. You're happier, right? <laughs> you know, I, I actually am. You know, I, you know, I used to be to where, you know, I've got my phone here because I was taking video on, on it earlier. And it used to be that, you know, every couple of minutes I would just glance down at it. And there wasn't really a reason. I'm not popular, so I don't get a whole lot of notifications even. Mm -hmm. It was just I, I'm constantly looking at it. Like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And so now it's like instead I'll just be curled up on the couch or back here on the deck all day reading a book. And I really don't miss it. I, I don't, you know. And it's it's been kind of a cool thing. And Heather's doing the same thing. And in fact, by the end of the documentary, she had already deleted the Facebook app off her, off her iPad because she was uh, so rattled by it, uh, which I thought was adorable. But, um, and you know, for, for authors, they, they say, you know, we need to be on social media so that we can sell. But here's the, here's the loophole. I don't sell books anyway. <laughs> how much I'm on social media. So I'm like, well, You're not helping your argument. <laughs> your argument is you have to utilize social media to reach your audience and entice them yeah. to read yeah. your book. And, and it, it does run counterintuitive to the fact that social media is, is making a lot of us feel depressed and overwhelmed and just... I just look at pretty covers. <laughs> well, you know, and I and I, I get on Instagram and and uh, I'll post stuff on there every now and again, and and I uh, and and I enjoy seeing the pictures. But yeah, it's just otherwise there is so much um, there's so much nastiness going on in in the world right now. And the more I read it, the worse I feel. You know, it's you know people call it compassion fatigue. I just call it rage. Um, but you know, and I just. I just don't need it around me. I mean, I've got a big family here that has plenty of drama that I could be dealing with in, in the real world. So I don't know. It, it hasn't, uh, it really hasn't been bad. Then the question is, as a person, you can walk away from social media, but can you walk away from social media as an author trying to reach your audience? Probably. Well, <laughs> You know, there there are people who absolutely hate doing online stuff and would prefer to do everything in person to do, you know, book signings and, and book expos and, and talks at libraries and, and stuff down and stuff like that. And and some of those people do very, very well. Um, last year at the, the library, my most popular guest at the whole summer reading series was an elderly man from Detroit who had written a book about his I believe it was his it was either his mother or it was his mother escaping um from germany during uh, world war ii he'd never been online he had an email address that he really didn't know how to use and i know this because i tried 
and he had the biggest crowd out of anyone sold a ton of books um and it was a wonderful show and zero social media and you know so it those kind of things can happen for some authors they're they're sensations on social media you know if you look at people like rebecca hamilton who have a ton of, of different services they they offer as far as um you know design and, and building and coaching goes um, most of it centered on on being online and the people that work with her a lot of times do really really well um, but for me you know i've been doing this since 2012 um, so that's eight years for me now and i've really never had any kind of success with social media at all so it's kind of like yeah okay. i mean i've been doing this since to, uh 2007 so you know <laughs> and, and 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 you have a, a good size following at this I point do? you have a well it, it really? seems like you, you have a lot of books out there i have um, a lot of books yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's and true while there like in 2012 and yeah early 2011 and 2012 i was selling like gangbusters but everything just has gone because social media, Amazon, and everything else has gotten so big, and I don't have you know a big name publisher behind me pushing me. Was was that man who wrote the World War II book? Was he um, traditionally published or self-published? He, so he didn't he didn't understand the language of it well enough to tell me one versus the other. But basically. Um, he knew a guy that runs a university press okay. in, in Michigan and they, they published it for him. So it was, it was self-published through this university press. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a really cool story. Well, it was a lot of fun, but uh, hi everybody that's commenting. I'm, I'm not ignoring you, Julia. I miss you too. I'm, I'm sorry. I haven't been online. I am super happy that you've been uh, finding some happiness in your personal life though. That makes me really happy. AF um, cat memes, definitely where it's at. I love the cat <laughs> memes uh, for sure. All right, well, let's let's hear from Teresa. What is your thought? I'm on not done yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna mute you talking about me. <laughs> let's, okay, so you're talking about social media. Um, well, I've been doing social media for a while and we, we're pretty deliberate about it. You know, we have a strategy every month. We we're we have a regular schedule. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and LinkedIn and Twitter and um, and no, social media does not sell books. And and everybody who says that it does, they're just misleading authors. Unless you have a ton of money that you can spend on Facebook ads, and then yes, when I do an ad, as much as fifty dollars, I might sell five books, but not, you know, not much. And so it's not about that. It's about, you know, with, with Bursts of Brilliance, my book Bursts of Brilliance, our social media is really cool. It's about, um, we do a weekly I am moment and the I am moment might be, I am, I am undaunted by, or I am curious about. And so we're just trying to engage people in their creativity in that sense, but I'm not, I no longer, um, hold on to that pipe dream that social media will actually sell very many of my books. Other other things work much better for me, anyway. So you're pointing at Katie, what is Katie? 
Look, Katie, Katie's super rich. So I we've got a message here. No. I'm not sure what this means from uh, Joe. Just let me know when you want me to <laughs> over. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, Joe. So, no. so what are the things that do work for you, Teresa? Just curiously from a marketing standpoint. Well, so since my books are World War II, and I am I'm an indie author. I started my own press back in 2009, and I published all of my own books myself. I actually was had started a press with a, a partner a little earlier than that, and in 2009 went off on my own. Um, my biggest buyers are museum gift shops. So the Pearl Harbor Museum sells a ton of my books, and World War II museums, and now with the new book, art galleries, um, art stores, uh, art museums is great. They're doing really well there, but. Then what happened with the pandemic? Oh you know, yeah, all yeah, right. The art museums, the library, all of those places, all the history museums closed down, and there went those sales. And and it was instantaneous. It was like the lockdown started, and within 24 hours, I was getting emails from my buyers saying, "We will not be purchasing books um, this quarter," and it hasn't picked back up since. So yeah, and then I sell a lot of books back of the room when I speak because um, with my World War II topic, I can sell a lot of books when I speak about that. And then um, with the Bursts of Brilliance book, usually I'm talking to audiences that are interested in creativity. So, and I have my bundles. My bundles are the best thing. So I've got a seven book bundle for my World War II books for $50. And then you can get all five of my children's books for $30. And I'll tell you, that's the best thing I ever did because more, I would say half the people who buy from me back of the room will buy one of the bundles as opposed to buying a standalone book. A lot more money that way. So yeah, those are some of the things that have worked for me better than much better than social media. And I, like you, Jason, I've never been one. I spend as little time on my social media as I can anyway. I just go on and make sure people aren't messaging me and I look at my notifications and that's about it. So I probably could do my social media better than I do, but um, you know we're happy with it. So, well, and I, know, I think uh, going off of the the comment that Anita said, the cat memes, and yes. then <laughs> what you said, Teresa, about being on social media to interact and to ask questions and get people involved. I think yeah. that's the best use of social media is making somebody laugh, you know, making somebody um, answer a question or really engage. That's the, the right use of social media. Whether or not it sells is another story, but if you're going to be on social media, it, it's better to create that sense of actually being social. Yeah. You know, I listen to, um, and, and, and the other thing is when you have a podcast, okay? This stuff is all online, right? How in the hell do we let people know about it? How do we get this in front of new listeners? That is super big challenge. And and so I, I, I promote my other show on, on Twitter as much as I can, but it's um it it's it's tough because are, the market is huge now. Um, but I listened to a show on NPR, uh, NPR Snap Judgment, um, and it was about this this guy this guy over in, in England who always wanted to be a uh, disc jockey. Okay, and this was back in the days when disc jockeys were kind of hot shit. And, and so he, he couldn't get a job doing this for whatever reason, nobody would hire him. And so he built this little um, studio in his, in his house. I think it was in a shed behind his house, um, which reminds me of my little podcast cave down in the basement, um, which most of us have now. And he would do his own radio show and play his own records as if he was on the air but it was just piped into his living room in the house for his wife to hear. 
And he did this for like 30 years. Like this was a long time. And I'm listening to this. And I'm thinking, why, why on earth would you do this? I mean, it's going nowhere. I mean, it's, it's obviously not here. Why put so much of yourself into this? And I was like, you know what? Because he, he still actually really loves what he's doing. You know, it's, it's because he's not worried about all the other stuff. He's just doing something he really enjoys. And just think if he'd had Facebook back in 1960, never would have happened. I don't know. I added that last part. That wasn't part of the story, but, uh, but yeah, it, it just, it just made me think, you know, how many things we could actually do if we were just doing them for the, for the love of it, instead of trying to sell stuff. And yeah. That, that's actually, I, I was watching a YouTube channel earlier this week where they were talking about uh, why creators are, are hitting burnout so fast right now. And um, it, it has more to do with the fact that we can't reach our audience than it is about the passion that we have in the projects we're creating. Um, and they went to talk about, you know, a lot of creators, whether it's, it's visual media, whether it's um, the written word or podcasting, we do it because we love it. We do it because we enjoy the process and our end result is we hope others will enjoy it too. But when we put it on some kind of a, a outlet, whether it be YouTube, whether it be for sale on Amazon, whatever it is, we have to compete against the algorithms for our stuff to be seen. And the problem right. with the algorithms is they're a moving target because algorithms change based on whatever current data says people want at that moment. So we're trying to figure out the algorithm so that we can get in front of people instead of finding ways to just get in front of people. And that's why we're getting to burnout because we're no longer worried about the creative side. We're so worried about how we're going to get somebody to see the end result. And that's, it, that's frustrating. About the business side of things versus, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it changes what you do. You go from doing something out of a sense of passion to doing something with some sort of um, intention that, okay, well, if I try it this way or I say it this way or I position it that way, maybe it'll rise up in the algorithm. You know, maybe I can get more people to see it. And it's not authentic anymore because you're you're manipulating how you would normally do something. And the other thing I think is interesting is we all think that if we land on something big, that it's going to make a really, really big difference. And I actually had the opportunity to hear George Takei speak. And he's huge. Like, he's absolutely huge, especially on Twitter. And I gave him a copy of my book, The No-No Boys, which you can see is in a Japanese internment camp. And he was in an internment camp when he was a child. So he held my book up, gave me permission to take a picture. I put it on my social media, 16,000 views. And I did not see a bump in book sales. <laughs> so it's like you think, oh, all I need is this big celebrity endorsement or something big is going to happen. And it didn't work that way. I mean, a lot of people liked it and they saw it in 16,000 people, but it doesn't mean that people are gonna go over and go, oh, I must know what that book is that George is holding. They just liked it because he was in the picture. Yeah. So yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, for, for on the ad side, for every thousand views, you get like one click. Yeah. And for t what you're trying to get for every 10 clicks, you get one sale. You know, so it's a it's a hierarchical, you know, stretch for ads, you know, to understand, okay, is this, that's the benchmark for profitability um, is, you know, the, the view, how many views, how many clicks, how many sales and how it all, all and, and yes, math, 
that horrible, horrible thing. <laughs> no, not mad. No, not mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in order to say, okay, is this profitable? You know, you're you're not just looking exactly. at yes. things. Yeah. You've, got, you've got to look at it and you've got to say, okay, I'm dumping money here, but I'm not seeing sales. Yes. So yeah. what do you have to do? And and yes, you know, a lot of this is is out there on the web, but you've got to, you know, is it your cover? Is it your blurb? Mm -hmm. Is it the first page? You know, all of those things that people do. Is it your ad copy that's just not engaging? Mm -hmm. And and with the shorter and shorter and shorter span, you know, attention spans of people these days because of this lovely social media, you've got to get in, grab, and hold. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all... Uh, but again, Lovely. back to that moving target because yep. the algorithms on every social media platform change based yeah. on whatever current data they have. And so that could be hourly, it could be daily, it could be weekly, whatever that specific site's algorithm is set to, it changes and then the target changes. And so when you've put so much effort into creating, like writing your book, we all know how long it takes to write a book and then editing and revising and getting a cover and doing all the good stuff that goes along with it. So you've spent all this time on the creative process and then you just disappear when it, it goes, goes into the void. So disheartening and it's, it's causing a lot of burnout for a lot of creators. Mm -hmm. and, and the question is how do we avoid the burnout and, and still enjoy the process and hopefully get in front of people? Um, it is such a good question right now. Um, this fall, I had a Spanish translate. We did a Spanish trans translation of my book, V for Victory, which is the story about the Mexican-American boy in San Antonio. And I do a lot of work with nonprofit organizations and kids. And we would have all these Spanish-speaking families say, do you have one of your books in Spanish? Mm -hmm. And so it felt really important to me to make that book available. That that book is based on my family, which they're Mexican-American and they lived in San Antonio during World War II. And mm -hmm. so for a lot of reasons, I really wanted to produce that book in Spanish. And I went ahead and did it, but you're talking about, yes, now how do I get the word out that I have a Spanish translation mm -hmm. of my book? How many copies should I print? Because I'm not sure what the demand is gonna be for a, a Spanish translation. And where do you even go to let people know about a book in Spanish. And so I experienced a little bit of that. I don't feel like I launched this book with the same enthusiasm that I have in other years because I think it was a little bit of that pandemic burnout of just like, oh my God, I don't know how to reach people with this book. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I mean, we did some things and we did a couple ads and we put the information out there, but you can't have a big book launch party where normally people would buy the book and they'd go out and they'd tell their friends and it's, you know, it's on my newsletter, but newsletter opens are down a little bit right now. And I think it's partly summer and it's partly just that people are spending their time doing other things. And so, yeah, it was, I, I totally felt like I had a little bit of burnout launching a, a book in the middle of this crisis. So, yeah. And we don't want people to burn out. We, we want to keep that, that fire lit to keep creating because we need it. We, we desperately need any form of entertainment. To, to keep us going, especially when right now everything seems so negative. Yeah, but, yeah. I have a lot of friends that are writers and, um, you know, some of them are struggling and having a hard time, you know, like a friend of mine writes cozy mysteries and she was saying it's kind of hard to write a cozy mystery when 
the world is falling apart in so many ways. Um, but I have other friends, honestly, my, my artist friends across the arts, including my writer friends, it's been really fascinating. They've taken this time to like scale down all the things that they were doing that were zapping their energy in other ways and just really streamline their businesses and get down to the bare basics. And so when we come out the other side of this, think about how much more time and space and energy they're going to have for their creative work again, because they're making that space now. So it's been really fascinating to just see, I've been doing it myself. I've been scaling back on things and rearranging things and um, dropping things entirely. And I know that when, when things do come back, I'm gonna have that space for some new creative projects. And I don't know exactly what they'll be just yet, but I'm, I'm heartened by that, just by how I'm seeing my friends dive into sort of recreating what does my writing life look like? What does my business look like? So it's fun. I've noticed on the consultant side of things, because you guys all know that I, I also have Rising Sign books where I do a lot of author assistance in helping to get books from the written stage to the published stage. And I've noticed in the last probably six, seven months, I've gone from getting clients that write fiction to clients that are nonfiction, that are writing self-help, how to, like the, the pandemic has turned everyone into a guru and people are focusing more on how to do things and how to make things better, which is a good thing. So that that may be a little bit of what you're talking about is is working on projects that are, are more beneficial instead of, you know, fantasy-based. Yeah, and I think some of my, fr my friends that I'm talking about are, are musicians. And obviously it's very hard for them right now because they can't get out there and, and play in front of it, play any of their gigs really. And so some, you know, one of them starting a podcast, always wanted to do that, never had time. And so I think people are kind of looking at different ways to say so much of what we did and what we relied on has gone out the window. So what can we do that's different? What, what's new and how can we use technology better when frankly, a lot of us, especially writers, it's not that we don't use technology, but we really like to be in front of our computers writing, or we like to be in front of our notepads writing. And, you know, they're starting to look at what are the other fun ways I could use technology to get my stories out there. And so I think, I definitely think there's for sure burnout. And I'm seeing the same thing too, with fewer people talking about their fiction right now, but I think it will come back. And I think we're making space for that. And we're having some time to reflect and think about what's really important to us. And I, I think we should probably consider that to be a bit of a gift. It doesn't always feel like it, but all this effective time I think is really important, so. As far as technology goes, Jay, I will never use Scrivener. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> you like that program, right, didn't you, Jay? Yeah, I, you know, I, I do like Scrivener, though, honestly, I, I had to, uh, completely reformat this computer like uh, six months ago and I just never reload, reloaded it on there. So I've just been using Google Docs for any time I'm writing, but I don't know, Scrivener's a, you know, I think it's a really cool program. I never learned how to use all of its functionality because um, it can be kind of complicated as well. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I haven't been doing a whole lot on technology lately. Like I said, I've just been doing a lot of reading, spending a lot of time going to the library, picking up you know, paper books and which is weird and holding a paper book. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's it's been it's been nice. Although I am reading one on the the Kindle now. Uh, somehow we have Prime Reading now. I didn't realize that was a thing. Um, but so you can read, you know, free books from uh, Prime. And I'm reading The Butterfly Garden, uh, and it's by Dot Atkinson, something like that. Danielson, I'm I'm not sure. Um, but anyhow, it's really kind of bizarre uh, storyline where all these women have been kidnapped and they're they're being held prisoner by the the gardener and he tattoos them all to to look like butterflies and i don't know it is just really looks really bizarre so i was like okay well i'll pick that up and start reading it and it's the first time i've started reading a, a new to me author in years i i'm i'm pretty set in my ways i like i like certain people and i stick with them but uh yeah if i knew more authors you know i guess i could have more of a selection i just i just don't know many people who write books and it's a <laughs> thing to <laughs> Speaking of writing books, Jay, didn't you finish a book recently? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Too. So, <laughs> I'm waiting. Here, right? here, here's the thing. So, there is a deadline, and so, and I, and this, this, I'm co-writing this with with Rebecca Jonesy, and. I've never written, I've never co-written anything before. And especially not with a, a person like Rebecca, who's very kind of hard charging. I'm gonna get things done in a certain amount of time. But uh, yes, Rebecca Jonesy, the mistress of dirty. Yes, yes. Mistress, Rebe mistress Rebecca, dirty Jonesy, and you will be entertained. Oh, okay, okay. I got mm -hmm. you, got you. Yes, well, she's very, very intense and driven. Um, so we got this manuscript um, script in under the deadline. However, it's it's not quite right. And and Jane's read it, um, so she knows what I'm talking about. But I started reading back through it uh, yesterday because um, I, I had to have a a little you know a week or two of of distance from it so I could really see it again. And it's just um, it's just not quite right. Uh, so I, I feel like it needs some really serious revisions in order for it to be published. Um, and actually makes sense, especially with two people, because like I can still see who wrote what, um, and I don't like that. I'd like it to be a little bit more uh, smooth. But once it's done, I think it'll be a really cool project. It's just, it's just not there yet. Yeah. Julia and, makes a good point. Distance is, is very important, especially in the revision phase, because you know what you meant to say, and when you go back and read it, especially if you're you're still in that creative process, you'll see what you meant to say instead of what's actually on the page. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and when you're writing with another mm -hmm. author too, you know what you meant to say, but maybe they didn't know what you meant to say, or maybe you don't know what they mean to say. And so it's it's a little bit of uh, figuring out to do. And like I said, and I haven't done it before, so I, I'm, I'm definitely a, a newbie when it comes to that, so. Well, um, Katie, but, I mean, Katie and I are a um, very odd situation with the co-writing. I have not heard how smoothly it went with us in any other situation. And I think it's because we maybe we share the same brain. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was, it, it's just, we were always, and, and, you know, we did the layering too. So, you know, she'd write, I'd, I'd, get us to the next point or I'd write, she'd get us to the next point. And then when we went back, we layered and layered and layered, you know, on edits on each different pass. So I don't know. I don't know. Writing's rough. It, it, it is rough. And, and just like a, you know, a marriage or any relationship, 
you know, it takes both working towards making it work. If you've yeah. got one person who is stubborn with their ideas, they're not going to be willing to, to, you know, give a little bit where it might need to be given. So mm -hmm. you, you've got to really hone down the relationship. Give it some time. Definitely yeah. give it time. Let other people look at it, get a lot of feedback and then go back through and, and revise it and try and see if you can come up with compromises on those areas that you guys might not be compromising on right now. Well, what did, what did and, Stephen King say that, you know, in, in his book that, you know, he'd finish a manuscript, stick it in a drawer for six months and then look at it again, Yeah. you know, but that, that doesn't fit with the publisher schedule. Right. <laughs> I, I, it never does. It never does. But, you know, my question to you or to anybody writing things when, you know, who is your audience? You know, you've got to get that in your head. Who am I writing this for? Am I writing this for, you know, romance author, readers, young adult readers, you know, fantasy readers, horror readers, you know, all these things. you got to say, okay, who am I writing it for? What are the normal tropes in that? And, and, and try to stay in that with your own flair. I mean, who am I to talk? I'm, you know, I, I'm a genre blending person, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, when you're, when you're looking at it and that's, that's where I was confused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are you writing for? Were you writing for people like us, you know, adults, or were you really writing for teens? Ugh. <laughs> well, Ugh. a majority of that took place in the teen land. <laughs> And <laughs> you know? ori originally, that book was more of a biopic, where it, you know, started at a very young age and ended in her uh, in her late thirties, and that that got chopped and and uh, you know truncated. And so I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I guess it's why. You know. <laughs> yeah, the, the editing process and the chopping process and all of that is is it is hard. And I imagine it's, oh, I'm going to point this way. I imagine it's even harder, Teresa, for some, you know, somebody where you have interviews and, and things like that and how to, how to um, structure things that what's most important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, so all of my books are based on real people that I interviewed and mm -hmm. the novel was based on 13 people. So men and women both. So having to do composite characters where I took the best parts of each person's story and put them into the main characters. So the main characters experience all of the best parts of those 13 different interviews. And that was really fascinating and challenging. And then the next book is Dancing in Combat Boots, which is short stories. So each story is based on one woman. And it came down to how much goes into the story and what else, what do I want to say like in the epilogue at the end? What do I want to say for the, you know what happened to her afterwards? And then the children's books, of course, they're each based on one, sometimes two people that I interviewed. And with kids' books, you've got to have lots of different things going on. So they're about 50% made up because I could take what the people had told me, but I had to add in these additional plot, you know, plot lines that kind of beefed up the stories and kept five different, you know, stories weaving in and out of each other so that the kids could, could stay engaged. Um, when you write historical fiction for middle grade, one of the challenges is that a lot of times kids have already been told or made up their minds that history is boring. 
So one of the things you're looking for in those interviews are like, what are the pieces that I could use that I can use to engage the kids in a, in a storyline that's going to seem familiar to them, even though this took place in the 1940s? Like, what would they still relate to today that a kid in the 1940s related to? And how do you build those stories together? So, yeah, I mean, it was very challenging. Um, and the people that I interviewed knew that it was fiction and they knew I was going to be straying from the the real story. So they, you know, I had their permission for that. But it's it's been a really fun challenge on those books. You know, with kids books, you really do have to make it interesting because it's not that, that history is boring. I think it's often presented in a boring way to kids yes. that, that make in them fact. more. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, it's it's a there's a UK show that I absolutely adore and it's meant for kids. But you know what? I found it entertaining as an adult. And it, what it does is it, it shows you history in a fun and imaginative way. And it's um, I liken it to Saturday Night Live teaching you history. <laughs> Horrible history. Exactly. It's it's sketch comedy based history. It's facts have, and flair. Have, have you ever watched <laughs> Drunk History? Oh, Drunk History is great. That's great. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Um, <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think with kids, I mean, if you go pick up a third, fourth grade textbook on history, state history, oh my God. Like, really, it's the, the way we teach history is the problem. And yeah. so when, when I hear, when the kids hear my stories, when I come in and do an author visit and they hear what each story is about, like, they can't even decide which one they want to read. They're so excited about all of the stories. And so they, you know, part of, you know, what was so cool about World War II is that it was a time in our history when we really relied on children and we gave them a lot of responsibility. And we, you know, President Roosevelt himself said, the men are fighting, the women are working. You need to step up and help us win this war. And the kids were out there doing scrap metal drives and collecting rubber and using their own money to pay for war bonds and doing all kinds of activities like taking care of the family's victory garden. And so when kids hear that, that there was a time when we, we relied on them and we gave them that much responsibility, it's like it's very inspiring to them. So that's not boring. <laughs> so I think that's the real challenge of historical fiction for kids is to say, read it, read it, you'll love it. And then when they do, they usually wind up reading the rest of the series. So that's really good. Yeah. Well, and I remember when I first became interested in fiction was um, or excuse me, in um, history, was actually in high school. And I think it was uh, 10th grade. I had a, um, my my uh, history teacher, gosh, what was his name? Started with a K, big German guy, huge belly, very, very loud. Um, <laughs> but the way he told history, because he, he covered World War One and World War Two, he was just so energetic and engaged with us. And he would tell these stories as, as stories, you know, he would tell the, the story of the assassin, assassination like you were there. And it would just get you so pumped up and energized and like, man, this really was a fascinating theater of war. So much stuff was happening. I want to know more about it. And I think that unless you have that, that spark, you, you never really get interested in something, you know, whether it's an amazing teacher or a book you read or a documentary, you watch something that lights that that fire of of, uh, of intrigue into the subject. Um, and I think that's really important. And then I, I shortly after that, I uh, I started reading um, the World War II espionage fiction books, 
and I knew they were fiction, but it was just so fascinating because like this kind of stuff could have really happened, you know? Um, and so then there you go. You've got a lifetime, uh, you know, lover of lover of history. So oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> All right, my cats are climbing the deck. <laughs> How do we reinvent the wheel, I guess, with our current situation and, and bring back the spark to create? Since that seems to be where we're oh. Aww. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, by the way, Katie, so Abby has Leah is the the cat whose cat butt is on spilling ink now um, on the on the logo. And she actually went to college with uh, with my daughter Abby as her emotional support animal. And every time she gets on some kind of video conference with a with a professor or us, the cat will jump up on on her bed in front of the iPad and start sticking her butt in front of the camera, which cracks me up because that's what she's known for. So, so you that just made me really happy. Oh, like that. There you go, Katie. There's your answer. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, sorry. That's Seriously. how you reinvent the wheel, Katie. That's it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It took me a long time to get back into writing. It, it you know, the, the Grimm's daughter was, which is my latest um, story that's with the editor, took me what six months to write, which is long for you, which is very long for me. <laughs> when so, we say prolific, we really mean she is just amazingly fast at writing and has a ton of books. <laughs> so, so, but for me, well, A, I had the deadline and B, I was like, I have to do this because it's the only thing that gets my brain back in the right space. And, you know, for, and it was like pulling teeth at times. <laughs> I'm like, I got to do this because it's, it's a mental health game with me. Um, because when I write, it just releases everything. I go into a different world and I'm, you know, everything's fine. Well, not really fine in, the, in my other world, but it just is, is release, a release and, you know, I, I used to joke at my day job, you know, how bad my day job was, was always gauged in my writing by how many people died. <laughs> um, that's not so true anymore. <laughs> I think Katie rubbed up off on me. <laughs> Wait, that would be a positive influence. I'll take that. Yes. <laughs> I stopped you from killing people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm on the flip side. I'm I'm been struggling and I, I have the book halfway written. I have a very rough outline. I know I said outline. Mm -hmm. um, I have a to-do list. We'll call it that way. Okay. So I know what I should be doing. I know where the story is supposed to be going. And when I do find the time and can sit down, I stare at the screen and it's nothing. I just... There's just even, even, there. if it's, even if it's three words, it's something. Even if you're staring at the thing for the hour or two hours that you have, and all you can get down is three words, it's something. And it's a little win. <laughs> That's the way I, I, I had to make my brain. It's like, okay, I got a sentence down. I was supposed to get 600 words, but I got a sentence. So, 
And my inner perfectionist is going, no, you're not leaving this chair until you hit your thousand words. And I'm like, but I don't want to. Are you on a, are you on a deadline, Katie? No, no. A indie publisher, I can print when I want to. I did loosely tell my audience that they can expect the book out by the end of the year, which is fast approaching. And I'm still stuck in a spot where I haven't even begun revisions yet. So I, I've got to give myself the time for revisions before I can even go to editing and then get to the publishing stage. And I'm not even there yet. But you can also just say, due to COVID, this book will be delayed until the spring of 2021. And no one's going to notice. I mean, I think part of um, what's going on right now is that we're starting to understand that some of the pressures we put on ourselves really are not all that necessary. Like, as you said, we're indie authors. We can produce on our own timelines, like we're in control of this situation. And if you need a break from the writing and you wanna just try writing something totally different, something you've never done before, play around, have some fun, do something different, you know, take an online art class during your writing time, you're still stimulating that creative brain, but you're taking the pressure off. I mean, we are so inundated with pressure right now coming at us from every angle of our lives. Do we really need to add more pressure on ourselves? It's like, if it's not giving you energy to write that particular book right now, then follow your energy somewhere else for a little while and give yourself a break. Um, I, you know, I just feel like the energy thing is really important when we write and maybe you're feeling called to do something else with that time. And you can still put your butt in the chair and tell your perfectionist self, I'm still engaging my creative thinking. I'm still working. I'm just not working on this particular project right now. And maybe you try that for a week or two or three and see if that kind of gets things, stirs things up again. Well, and what's, what's the point in us being indie authors and doing this ourselves if we can't decide that if I'm not enjoying this, I can take a break, you know? Yeah, and I think you're about to say the same thing. There's the other side of it where, especially if you're a, a series author, the expectation for indie authors is, is to produce much faster than the traditional marketplace. Traditional can get away with a year, year and a half, two years between books, whereas indie is out of sight, out of mind equals dead in the water. That's what I, that's not what I was going to say, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I agree. The thing, the thing with me is I schedule ahead with an editor when I know they're available because otherwise it's another three, four months ahead before I can get on their schedule. So yes, I might be able to relax and say, well, I can't make this, let's push this out. But that means somebody who's expecting a paycheck is not getting a paycheck. That's very important. Yes. That, that for for me, I felt bad moving moving the other you know, moving my book from July to October, but I was moving. COVID happened and everything like that, and I said I I I got her what back in April, and I said this isn't happening. I'm having issues. You know, I, I have COVID braid. I'm moving. I there's no way I'll get this done in time. I said, can we move it? out to October or, or to the end of September so I can hit an October deadline because I had the pre-order out there too 
So I had to have Amazon. Thankfully, they did. You know, they they helped authors and said you can change it. You know, and and for a three month period or whatever that period was, and we'll do that for you. Um, but it's a one time deal. So either you know, either you can cancel or or forward it. And I forwarded it because I'm like, I need the deadline. <laughs> Uh, I'm somebody who needs the structure and say, okay, I have a target. I got to, I got to get there. Well, um, and along the lines of what you're saying from the other side of the fence, you know, yeah. again, with rising sign books, I do, you know, a la carte type publishing consulting. I have a schedule too. And if a client backs out on me, that's, you know, my paycheck for that week, that two weeks, whatever it was scheduled for is now effectively gone. And when you're working freelance, that's your livelihood that can, you know, make or break you for a month when something like that happens. So I hear that on that side too. And I'm, I'm very conscious of that. When I put something on the schedule, I know that they block this time off for me. That's why I try to give them, if something happens, I give them plenty of time or as much time as I know um, before I have to, you know, change it. Uh, but I don't wait till the last minute because I know they're 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 that's something that as an indie author you have to take responsibility for too. If you schedule something, whether it's a cover, formatting, an editor, you know, any of those things, you're putting somebody's time in a hold that mm -hmm. if you don't think you can get it there, that's not fair to that person. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true. And I think it's really professional of you to be responsible in that manner. But I do know, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are copy editors that oftentimes if you contact your copy editor and you ask them if you can move a deadline, they're able to do it. They say, oh, good. I actually just had somebody approach me yesterday and I told them I didn't, I couldn't take that job. So we're all professionals. And if you ask them, they say, no, oh my God, I'm so busy. You absolutely have to stick to your schedule. That's one thing, but why not ask? Oh, I mean, I again, I mean, you can find out if it's okay to bump that schedule. So a lot of my traditionally published author friends, their, their books were supposed to come out this fall and they've all been bumped to the spring. Mm -hmm. And readers understand that. Readers understand that this is not a typical time. And they are not, they have bigger concerns right now right. than whether or not our book comes out exactly on the day. It's like, oh, for God's sake, it is October 31st and where is that book? Nobody's paying attention to that right now. They're trying to get through their own crazy lives. So, I mean, I think if you can release the pressure a little bit and get that energy back up, I think you're going to find that you just feel more excited about it and, you know, trying different things. And so, but absolutely, we have to be respectful of other people, but it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, right. how do you guys, absolutely. how do you feel if I move this a little bit? And, and that's, so. that's perfectly acceptable. It's, it's when it's the day before your project is supposed to yes. start. <laughs> right. And you're like, I'm not going to oh, no, 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 get it there. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a problem. I, I think it's, I think it's important to remember that whether we are traditionally published uh, people or, or indie artists that these expectations, um, and you were talking about expectations, Katie's, are, are really things that we've created ourselves. Uh, they're not things that have to be there. Um, and I think that sometimes, boy, I've got fluctuating electricity out here. It's, it's strange. Um, a lot of us, I know I do this, and there are probably many more people who do, get so wrapped up in my identity as an author or 
as a you know you know graphic artist or as an editor or whatever it is that you start to feel like if you're not doing that or if you're not producing that you don't have value and really it's just not true it's mm -hmm. not true at all you don't have to do that to have value you know my value is that i'm jay that's 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 what my value is and um I, i'm starting to realize more and more that you know tracy you were talking about pressure and i have cracked under the pressure several times in my life and it's it's a it's a it's a ugly thing and i don't want to do that anymore and so in order to try to avoid that i try to keep that pressure off me keep that pressure away from me and and i'm i'm privileged in that i am being i'm able to do that my books really don't make a lot of money you know it doesn't provide any part of our income here <laughs> you know at all if anything it's maybe oh we can go out to eat twice a year on this okay um, but I don't have to rely on that from for my income now if that's what paid my rent I would have a completely different attitude and I'd I'd be up shit creek and saying I probably shouldn't be a, a, pro, a professional author um, but you know I think for those of us who do this as a part-time gig or or as a as a hobby that we try to make a little bit of money to that it's okay to back off when you're when you're feeling that pressure um, starting to squeeze you because that's not how any of us should function we're not supposed to function like that some of us are wired for dysfunction like jane um <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like well you know i have a high high stress day job <laughs> i think i i think i kind of thrive on chaos <laughs> But 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 that gives Jane energy. Yeah. Look how much look how much energy she has just talking about it. She's glowing. Right. She's glowing. So go follow, go follow your day. energy. So absolutely, somebody like Jane should be doing it exactly as she's doing it. It and, and following that energy and saying, man, being productive every day helps yeah. my mental state. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel energized. Um, that doesn't have to be Katie. It does not have to be right. me. Right. Um, if I if that's not what gives me energy and it just puts pressure on, which drains my energy, what, where is that getting me? So I think we, I mean, I think that we have to figure that out for ourselves and find that balance for ourselves. And I always think about like, you know, those big name authors where they, they publish like mad and they're best selling authors and then they just disappear for like four years. And you go, That's where funny. the frick did they go? Like, where did they, what were they doing? What were they doing? Did they not think of themselves as a writer in that four years? Like, what was that like? And then they come out again and most people don't go, oh my God, it has been four years since you published a book. <laughs> people just say, oh great, there's a new John Grisham or whatever. And, you know, but we as indie authors, we think, oh my God, you know, I have to stay on these timelines and I've got people that are following me. And really, when you think about it, it, none of them are putting it on their calendar. They're, you know, they'll be happy when it comes out. Um, I think we can take some of that pressure off. Yeah, really. And not to, not to sell mean to all the authors out there, but people just don't care that much. You know, <laughs> when your book comes out, if they like you, they'll read it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They'll be and like, oh, you have a new book out. things that are anticipated. And whether you move the stick or not, it, you know, they're still going to be anticipated. Unless you go, well, no, I'm done with the series. I, you know, sorry, I promised this, but no, it's not happening. That's when it's like, okay. <laughs> I, I think I have had one book probably in the last 10 years 
but I actively waited for it to be released because I was so jazzed for the end of the series. And that was a Pierce Brown book. And I and I pre-ordered it, but then I forgot about it like two months before it was released. And when it popped up on my Kindle, I was like, "Yes, I'm so happy! I'm so happy!" <laughs> but you know, that's like one book in ten years. And if if you're lucky enough to be the author that has written that one book, then freaking kudos to you. That's... Yeah, no, I'm waiting for one right now. That's that's coming out next week. <laughs> but I'm waiting for what? Almost a year since War came out. So, I know, then, right? Uh, then I think it's out. <laughs> I heard a friend say that people are so used to now with Netflix and Hulu and all those things, and they put the whole series out at once, yeah. and you don't have to do this waiting business. That some people are like, I bet this is going to affect the publishing industry. That instead of seeing a book come out and then another one comes out a year later, they're going to just wait and release the whole series at once. And I was, oh my God, that would be such a shift in this industry. But you could almost see see that coming. But People don't be, want to wait anymore. It would be great for writers like Jane who could write very, very yes. quickly. Bad for writers like Jay who write very, right. very slowly. Or you would just get a contract and you would get a contract and they would say, okay, we want the three books within a three-year period and then we're going to release them all at once. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be about the same. Who knows? Well, yeah, Everything's but, changing. But then they have to remember that their authors have to eat for those three years. Yes, and, there and has to be. Exactly. That's right. you know some some people do do that and do rapid release, um, but they're also the fast writers. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is not me either, by the way. <laughs> we talked about that strategy and some of the flaws of that strategy. That that can be detrimental. I, mean, I think so too. I, I wasn't happy to. I was actually not happy to hear that. But I thought, oh my God, is that what's going to happen? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katie and I did rapid release one each month. We were done with most of them by the time the first one went live. But but even you said our our situation is not what we hear from other authors right. who work together. We right. we really kind of had like the magic working together on that three books. Yeah. It, Good energy with the two of you. Uh, yeah, and my mother-in-law mother loved the series. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I, and I just figure that regardless of where the industry goes, for me personally, I don't have to let it affect me. And 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 that that's kind of a, a release for me as well, knowing that okay, you can just not care about that if you don't want to. That's okay. Mm -hmm. The only thing is I really have to care about are my family and the mortgage. And right. as long as that's getting taken care of, everything else is just like, okay, well, it's either going to deal with itself or, or it won't. And I'll figure something else out. So. I mean, yeah, if you're going to write, write the best book you can. Well, that's the only, you yes. know, put, put, well, it, put, it, what you can, put your passion into it. Well, and, and I've got to talk to, I've got to talk to Rebecca about that too, with this, with this current project, because I, I, you know, it's not where it needs to be. And I think it's worth it to say, okay, let's take this off the publishing hold. schedule and actually spend another six months or so really hitting this hard it. to make it amazing. It's and then release. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just, I'd rather release a really kick-ass book and make yeah. it wait a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. I've done that too. I've delayed books before because um, you want it to be the best it can be for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was nice. fun. Katie, what do you think? Was that fun? Yeah. Well, we, we did. We actually stayed on topic 
<laughs> we we helped answer some questions that we brought up at the beginning tired. of the show. I mean, this is like, this, mark your calendars, guys. This show is never going to happen again. <laughs> we are never this focused. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, Katie, will you message me your address? Heather wanted to send you some things, and we only have the old one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we'll do it. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, since we are at the end of the show, uh, before we go, Teresa, do you want to let our audience know anything about anything that you have coming up? Um, go ahead. Yeah, I just um, my website is TeresaFunk.com. So it's T-E-R-E-S-A-F-U-N-K-E.com and visit it. It's really a fun website. Tons of information about the World War II books and the stories. You get to see the real people the books were based on, all kinds of things. And then BurstsOfBrilliance.com is for inspiration for artists and creatives. And that was this one right here? That's that work, yes. That looks so beautiful. I love the colors on that. Thank Absolutely you. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, original artwork. Have your notes or have your link in the show notes so that people can find you. And Thanks. speaking of finding people online, we have to uh, shout out to our second sponsor, Rebecca Jonesy, the, excuse me, Mistress Rebecca Dirty Jonesy. And you can find out her information in our show notes below at the link. Uh, Jay, anything you want to tell us? Well, I was just looking at this again, and I was like, the burst of brilliance, it almost looks like the, the brilliance graphic is almost like a, a virus that's going to infect you and give oh, you brilliance. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's how I'm going to oh, think gosh. of it. <laughs> the brilliance virus. Yeah, Everything okay, good. Is a the virus. brilliance virus. That's a good thing. It can overtake the pandemic. <laughs> well, all I have to say is just remember to take care of yourselves for real. It's I'm not just BSing around. I mean, you know, pressure, depression, this this whole corona time has been a killer for people. So uh, take it easy on yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. That's, that's it. All right. And uh, Jane, anything you want to add? Um, it, on October 13th, Grimm's Daughter's coming out. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. That's not long. Oh, my goodness. You see, even when you're slow, you put out books so fast. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank, guys. Oops, and thank you to Re Rebecca and um, for for beta reading too. She pointed out some some good spots that that I needed to fill in information. <laughs> so, yes, she is awesome. Beta readers rule. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing, and she reads so fast. She reads. Yeah as fast as you write. Like <laughs> you two together are a powerhouse. <laughs> All right, guys, well, that's it for us this week. We'll be back next week with some more lively conversation and some more authors to introduce you to. So be sure to like, subscribe, share, and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time, guys. Hey, thank you.